Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Need to Nerd podcast. I'm your host, Spencer, and I am joined by my co-host celebrating Hanukkah, my man, Wes Singleton. Day six. No one's gotten me a puppy yet. Uh, did you ask for a puppy? Do you ask for no, stuff for Hanukkah? I, when my mom asked me what I wanted for Hanukkah, I told her a weighted blanket, and she delivered. My mom knows. Nice. I love my weighted blanket. We're also joined by a former co-host of the Need to Nerd podcast, Michael Merrill. What's up, Mikey? Hey. <laughs> I was going to say former co-host. I don't even know if I earned co-host. I think we did, what, like two episodes? Oh, way more than three. that. It How was... many did we do? We got like five at least. Like, like, oh, okay. I mean, I'd be yeah. like 12. I'm not going to lie. We, oh, yeah, we almost well. had a groove. Yeah, yeah, we were doing well. It was. It was I just, time. I so just we got overwhelmed and had to quit. It was. <laughs> what are you a DM for a D and D game or something? Kind of. It feels like that sometimes. <laughs> uh, with that being said, though, before we get too far into uh, welcoming Mikey back today, we're actually inviting Mikey back on because Mikey uh, has directed a pretty awesome short film that we're going to talk about. And we're really excited to talk to him about it. Don't forget that if you want to talk about this film as it's released on Amazon, to check out our Discord. If you head on over to the Heasy Game Media Discord, um, we'll be sure to post the link in there. I already posted the greatest standard deck in history today, so you know if you're a Magic player, check that out. Uh, also, uh, the Smash topics have popped off this week. Um, Mikey and I talk about the Mandalorian every episode, it sounds like, at this point. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. It, it is, uh, you know, slowly growing, and we appreciate everybody who does that, so head on over to the Discord. And if you want to hear us, uh, question Mikey's directive choices, uh, you know, head on over to the Patreon, and you can hear the early mic checks where, uh, I just call Mikey out for, uh... What are they called? I actually don't know what they're like. What is the Starbucks cup called? Gas. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Foods. Yeah. Yeah. I just called Mikey out on the only gaff in his entire film right off the bat. So I'm sure I'm I pre only. And I'm sure no I more will be exposed in the recording of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> With that being said, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash easy game media. But Mikey, dude, welcome back. Um, yeah, this is like the equivalent of hosting SNL after you used to be on the cast for it. <laughs> oh, podcast man. Form. my One of my podcasts was compared to SNL. Check that off the bucket list. One of mine, too. <laughs> well, you're less important, though. Ah, good. <laughs> Mikey, dude, what have you been up to uh, since... I sadly told everyone that I couldn't do this show anymore and told you guys not to worry about it anymore and then, <laughs> you know, just quit on all you guys. <laughs> hey, you brought it back. That's the important part, right? Finally, yeah. But no, no, no but for, for real, I know what you've been up to because we've been in contact and stuff. Um, but why don't you, why well, don't you I don't. Me? So explain yeah. it to me like <laughs> I'm fixed. No, so yeah, I I'm trying to even remember when was the last episode that I was on. That was like this was spring was of 2018. A, yeah, this is two years now, and COVID like counts as six, right? So At like least. seven years. <laughs> yeah, if you were a yeah. slave, you could be free now. Oh god. No, um, like honestly, it's mostly been filmmaking. Um, I think a little after the. The last episode that we had 
um, I directed my first short film. I think actually while we were recording, I was in pre-production for it. Um, you were, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, I think, the second short film I'd ever done. And yeah, it, uh, that one was called Nomads. And now we're on number, well, directing number, uh, the third one in this, like, block i have a bunch of other like terrible short films that hopefully nobody ever watches but like um, a lot about ones that have an actual yeah ones that have an actual like crew and um aren't aren't like me in the backyard with with my brother or something (laughs) yeah Um, i i think that if 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 one of our listeners who's listening now like remembers mikey you know mikey mikey you have like this deep love for films that i mean I, i remember when we were young teenagers you just had this like you know how people have like those cd cases full of dvds mikey's was like like if the zipper was breaking he had it was over full plus an entire wall i mean as you can see behind him yeah. he's got all of his, his i know the sort and i've got a yeah, question this is like a, maybe a third yeah exactly and and mikey just all he wanted to do was watch movies all the time and uh it's really cool to see you Embrace that passion. What's your question, West? When you were a teenager and people would ask you, like, who's your favorite director, right? Because you're, you're a film nerd, right? And this is the <laughs> sort of thing it's asked you. What's the answer you regret giving the most from being a Did teenager? Did I regret giving? Yeah, where you're looking back and you're like, oh, I had, I, I've had, I have taste now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't think there's somebody I would, like, necessarily regret really liking yeah just because it's like i'm also somebody who really loves bad movies too like it's just either whether if you're trying to learn like you'll never learn more from watching a good movie than you will from watching a really bad movie michael's a big Um, fan of the leprechaun for those who don't know no actually (laughs) i've seen like 10 minutes of the leprechaun mikey's and i learned so much no i'm kidding i'm kidding (laughs) i did learn a lot but not because it was bad right yeah no i like i love bad movies too um but like it's yeah there isn't anybody i really regret i think i was like way too i regret saying certain things about certain yeah directors. That, that's like, what i'm looking for man, this looking person for. is go I... okay uh like tell M. me about Night... your pretension mikey i mean m night Shyamalan, of course like had some had a downturn right like up i all the way up until he did avatar the last airbender i was just like Wait, this guy he can do that? no wrong yeah, the live action last year. He knows. We've, we, we don't we've, speak of it. We banished oh, it on this podcast. We don't okay. talk about it on this podcast. Oh, damn. Because I remember it has ripping it into it. <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah, it's 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 atrocious. But you know, up until that point, like, he can do no wrong. And then that came out. And I was like, I, and I was hyping that so bad. I was just like, it's Shyamalan. He's good. You know, I was, and I don't even know why. Weren't you like, weren't you like, uh, Weren't you like a big James Cameron is overrated guy in high school? Um, no, it wasn't James Cameron. There, I remember there was somebody I would always like. Really, is it is it possible to like actually say James Cameron, Cameron is overrated just because money talks? I mean, to be fair, I think that Avatar. To be fair, Avatar might be the most overrated and film of all I would, time. I, I mean, like, yeah, I would. Agree so with money that. can but talk. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't right? Like, deserves overrated though, not because it's a it's like some incredible film, but because honestly, like 
people just forgot about it. It became more of like a meme than anything to to make jokes well, about I, Avatar. But like, I, I, like a so, no, who movie who end, watched right? Avatar like, more than once? <laughs> like, I, since I, it, I, so like, I did, but also I did not see that film until it came out like on video, and I everyone told me it was the greatest movie ever made. And so I'm going – I think that that movie was the biggest letdown in film for me because yeah, everybody says it is the greatest movie sense. ever made. It's the – like everyone said it, and I sat down, and we got done, have... and I was like, I just watched Fern Gully. Yeah. Like what do you – that was Fern Gully. I... For what it's worth, Fern Gully is perfectly adapted for Fern your Gully. home I love Fern Gully. I wasn't expecting Fern Gully when people told me it was the best movie of all time. <laughs> well, Avatar was just the best theater experience anyone had had at that point. So yeah. I think that that's the actual issue is I didn't – I've never experienced that movie in the theater. Anyway. I would never experience it out of the theater. I don't think I'd willingly watch it at home. I think well, exactly. I'd only go watch it on a that's 3D exactly what I would say. It was like well, after people like – after it left theaters, I think – it tons of people bought it and then like maybe watched it once when they got a brand new giant tv you know but other than that like that's the only time you've rewatched avatar hey look and... at us trashing other movies other than the <laughs> other Aragon than mikey's film. well let, let's talk about the film, today, film, which is our to, usual film to that, trash yeah that would be Center. today as i mentioned we are going to trash mikey's film we're really not though um <laughs> but we, we're going to talk about this film that, that you made mikey but before we do i i kind of want to take the veil back um, and talk about kind of two big talking points for this. One is just short films overall. Uh, and then the second is talking about uh, kind of making films during COVID-19. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that for me, uh, and I think for a lot of people, like especially I think millennials have this for them be kind of because of Pixar, but short films have like really captured us, you know, whether it's been the Pixar animations. I mean, even outside of the Pixar animations, the, that, that kid and his dog is, you know, the, the missing limb one, uh, the red balloon. I think we've all watched that. You know, I, I think that there's I like the paper airplane one. Yeah. They, I think that was the Pixar one, but they're, they're, they're short, short films, short animation shorts, they have this ability to really capture an audience. And I want, I, I was curious if you could talk to me about that. Like how, do, why do you think that is that Wes and I both just went off about like, these short films that we kept ca that captures. I mean, these things are five, seven, 15 minutes long. How, how do they resonate with us so much? I still think about old man playing chess in the Dude, park. Me too. All the time. To the literally, literally all the time. Yeah. No, it's that. That's still. I mean, I I'm a big fan of all the Pixar shorts, and that one and the the uh, birds is probably like they're probably my two favorite Pixar shorts. Um, but there's, I mean, it's Pixar. They, it's hard for them to really screw anything up. Um, they actually have like, if anybody, I won't dive into it too much, but if anybody wants to get a much better answer to this question than what I'm going to give, go to. Um, Pixar's website and they have like a bunch of videos and uh, like the in basics of animation. And there's tons of videos on YouTube that break down like how they tell their stories. And regardless of the length, you know, they kind of have a similar formula. Um, and sorry, I'm kind of going roundabout here, but 
to get the answer to your question, that formula revolves around emotions. Um, I think the fact that short films, when they're done well, can really, in a very short amount of time, make you feel something very strongly, whether that's, you know, fear or the love or, or you know, heartbreak, which a lot of short films uh, seem to kind of go for is like they they just want to break your heart as fast as possible. Um, do you do you think that's because they don't have the option of characterizing the characters, like of like giving them traits and stuff? So the only way we really can relate them is through emotions. Yeah, I think that's definitely a big part of it. Is you know because you have such a short amount of time, you don't you you can't give tons of backstory. You know you don't you only have about 60 seconds to maybe two or three minutes if it's a longer short for an audience to connect. Um, Cause especially, you know, unless they're going specifically to a film festival or something like that, or a short film screening somewhere, um, they're probably just watching it on YouTube on their phone, you know, or maybe if, if it's on Amazon or something like that. Um, so that it's so easy for them just to turn away I think you're underestimating the number of short film Star Wars movies <laughs> that I have watched on a Thunderbolt display uh, <laughs> for my Mac. I think that's the one exception is like if it's your hardcore genre, like I, yeah, I will watch. Well, man, like, there are some good Star Wars film. short films. Let me tell yeah. you. There are some amazing ones. I I mean, to be the, fair, all of the yeah. cinematic stuff that the Old Republic did, those short films – Mm-hmm. Those those are pretty amazing. Uh, Wes, why don't you, why don't you ask the um, kind of our next question for Mikey here? Yeah. Um, as a storyteller, how do you um, balance uh, like the pacing and scope of the story you're telling? Right. How much do you uh, like to leave hanging? Um, would you rather answer your audience's questions during the short or leave them asking them like? How much are you supposed to confine the scope of your short story? Um, I think that kind of goes back to what I was just saying about the emotion. I think you just need to have a very clear idea of like, how do you want to make the audience have the audience feeling or what you want them thinking about when they, when the short film ends. And if that's just a single emotion, like I want them to feel uncomfortable or I want them to like have a ton of anxiety and be all, amped up from a horror film or something like that. Or if you, again, like just want to break their heart, you have to kind of think really, really hard about what you want that ending to be ending and like emotion to be, um, or the takeaway and just the most efficient way to get your audience to that point in a unique way. And I, I tend to kind of, visualize things as a roller coaster whenever i'm working on a script or giving feedback to somebody is like you need to think of like what is the roller coaster you're designing for an audience because it's a lot of the same thing in terms of tension or conflict um or the information you're giving them is just like okay how much or how little do we are we escalating things or how much or how little um are we revealing to the audience and i i kind of like to tend to lean towards ambiguity and kind of keep things vague and let the audience like trust that the audience will fill in a lot of it themselves when it comes to short films, Um, especially with stuff like post-apocalyptic films where everybody has seen so many of them and they know the tropes, you know, even if 
they're not hardcore post-apocalyptic fans they can still kind of get it because we've been so saturated with it over the past like 10 years or so thanks to you know like walking dead and all these other you know types of um, uh, I checked again on your tenders, uh projection for The Walking Dead being a part of the conversation we're having because uh, decades slip by pretty easily. I I will say this. Uh, and this I mean, is even to, before that, though. Yeah, exactly. Were, you know, this is to all filmmakers, not just Mikey. But if your goal is to give me anxiety during your film, um, you know, there's a special place in hell for you, because uh, my anxiety is already so bad already so bad yeah you, you'll read your own uh <laughs> it, it reminds me of a brand yeah you're you kind of take reminds me of a brandon sanderson quote um the purpose of a storyteller is not to tell you how to think but to give you questions to think upon yeah. too often we forget yeah. do you do you think idea. do you think that the um, you, you kind of talked about your side do you think that there's a, like a, a balance that you have to like you can give the, the audience questions but do you think that there is some percentage of a story you need to tell for them to feel fulfilled? Um, I wouldn't necessarily put it as a percentage. Sure. Um, but I think you do have to, I don't think there's a right or a wrong in terms of like how much or how little to give, you know, but I think you just have to be, accountable for it i guess you know like it can't just be a throwaway answer like oh the audience will figure it out or you know you can also on the reverse can't just spoon feed them because then they'll get bored so there's a balance you have to strike in in that way but you but in terms of like how much actual information you're giving it's um or the particular story you're telling how much it has to be a quote-unquote complete story um especially with short films is just very flexible and right. You and, don't, you don't have time for the Ryan Johnson approach of ruining everything. And then uh, <laughs> make, making sure that, that everybody gets upset with you. That was, that yeah. was a joke. I love the last <laughs> Jedi for what it's worth. Uh, I'll, I won't approve those comments. That was, that was a bad joke. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, it's, it is something that you have to balance quite a bit but at the same time like it's there's not a right or a wrong answer in terms of how to balance it it's just what do you, you just have to have thought about it and if you intentionally want to keep things as vague as possible and and you know tell a incomplete story story so to say like that's what experimental films do all the time it's like here's a right. bunch of images and here's a you know or uh, any kind of proof of concept film that's just trying to get you interested in an idea, they're never going to, at least, you know, if they're done right, they're not going to give you, they're not give you any of the answers. You know, they yeah. just want to show you the world and get you engaged enough to ask those questions. So, yeah. So I, I have a former Constructive Criticism co-host that I did the show with, Trey McLarnan. He is also... Um, left the life of being a lawyer and has become, you know, trying, trying to do film. And, you know, I, I've had a lot of conversations with him and with you about film budgets. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I have, I am interested in the uh, executive producer role of filmmaking. Uh, and so I, I've talked to my friends who are in, are into the industry 
And it's it's been really interesting kind of hearing both of your opinions on money and films. And I, I, I'm really curious, like, what kind of benefits do you think these... And, and I, I think that I should give context to listeners here. Because both of you are, quote-unquote, no-budget filmmakers. Because anything mm-hmm. under... I, I, I think everything under a million right now is considered no-budget. And... Yeah, there's certain there's so SAG is like the big actor union and they have a breakdown that's kind of the standard that people go by and technically like an ultra low budget or like no budget would be under I think it's 300,000 okay, right okay. now and then a low budget film would be under like a million or 2 million. Okay, I thought low budget was under a million and no budget was under like 500,000. So they're pretty close. Yeah, they just call it ultra low budget, but yeah. it's it means like yeah here's so, like you don't have much and and you're you're doing like actual no budget right like these are these are five thousand six you know six thousand dollar you know yeah. films what do you think and I, I mean this because uh, this is a question because uh, what do you think the benefits are to this like as a creator um I think it kind of depends on the way you're going about no budget filmmaking. Um, Some people will just like really run and gun it and they just make tons and tons and tons of stuff because their goal is to just practice as much as they can. Um, And then there's the, like, if you're really going for like a larger project, like what we've done with neighborhood, um, then you kind of have to take a, there's a slightly different value in it. Um, so I do want to kind of make that distinction, um, that, you know, you have low budget filmmaking. That's what, like a lot of the stuff you'll see. I'm sorry. Oh, I feel like I'm sounding pretentious. No, no, you're not. You're you're not. But like, there are two different routes. They they really are. And and I want to talk about like, kind of what I've learned from you two. And then if I'm wrong, correct me. Okay. Yeah. That'd probably be better. But like. You know, I I think that his budget for the film that he was trying to create was like, I, I think it was somewhere in like the 500k range. So it's like this low mm-hmm. budget film. Yeah. Um, in some audiences, it's like, you know, like you said, this ultra low budget. But also the reason to make these kind of films is because, um, the, uh, what what is the phrase? You know, restrictions breed creativity. Mm-hmm. And it is so often why you see, you know, horror genre filmmakers become great directors once they get their first film outside of those first horror titles that they did. Yeah. Because they're so used to no money, do what yeah. you can do. And then, like, and, then, oh, and then sometimes you get the M. Night Shyamalans that are like, you know, making Avatar The Last Airbender. But. For, for the most part, that you know, you see these great people on this tight budget doing what they can. I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys, either of you, have listened. I think that it's fascinating to associate low budget with restriction because I thought there's also a freedom to it, right? You don't have to secure uh, it's funding from someone with yeah. high expectations, right? Like that's yeah. a huge thing as that, well. I mean, that's one and of the benefits. Your experimentality can also be much higher because you're not banking on success. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, I was trying to be like careful with my words and like find the right way to 
make sure that you can get a producer in the future <laughs> i know right yeah i i don't want to sound like like i was trying to separate those like one of them is better than the other i what i was trying to kind of get at is like there is a like almost a triangle of like what are those diagrams called that kind of like yeah, yeah the, the, diagram, the, 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 yeah. the triple venn diagrams is what you're talking about yeah those those kind of ones of like yeah you can um of just and it's so much of filmmaking in so many different ways which is just like you you only have certain amount of options and usually it's time money and quality it's the college know? it's the college that's always yeah that's the, the college life yeah. experience has that <laughs> right exactly and so like with anything you're doing i think we're you know you can pick how you're gonna allocate those things um and so when you the, give up the, when you give up money what do you get mm -hmm. Um, I think you you're forced to be more creative, which is the thing that most people kind of go to. But I also think it, it makes you um, be more not cautious, but um, take greater care in everything you're doing because it it costs so much. Like it's such a bigger percentage out of your pocket, you know, than it might be if you were you know getting hired on on a some bigger budget film and so yeah it, you it don't you don't do anything more, you know every decision additionally. yeah um and it usually means that you're um you understand the value of the things that you're getting back as well from other people um because so often at least with the range that i've been working in a lot of the time which is like mostly volunteer like these are professionals who just on a couple of weekends you know are willing to come out and help me shoot a film um because i've worked with them before you know we're friends or whatever reason um and the the value that that brings kind of forces you if you really care about it you know to to realize the weight of everything you're doing and of the time that you're taking and so you really have to be so much so much more methodical and like um yeah I, respectful i guess of of the craft itself as you're going into it if i can kind of add on to what you're saying and i i think i've heard this from multiple people right which is that when you have no budget you're not paying people a ton of money for their time you know they're doing this out of an act of love it's really important that the thing that you're doing portrays them in a way that they want to be seen because that's, that's the value they're getting out of this. Yeah. Whether it's their, their work or their, you know, ideals or the story itself. Um, you, I think you just have to make them passionate about it. You know, you, you have to have shown that you care enough about the story that you're telling and the things that you are going to need to do to tell that story you know before you go approach anybody about it and if you do that and you come to people and they see the quality of it they see how much you care they are so willing to come out and and to help and to you know lend their time or to take a pay cut or you know lend you some gear or something like that so it you know like i said it really comes down to just the the respect for the craft and and for the people around you and the the art itself and that's what's going to kind of draw people in regardless of what your budget is you know i have it's to... funny that no budget almost means that like 
you're forced to value human capital in a way that you wouldn't otherwise, right? Because yeah. like, which is crazy because like, it should be the most important piece in all of this. Well, totally, but it's because our output is so is not is so un untethered to uh, a concrete value at times, right? Like I, I, that, we can really like get more out of people than we could get out of stuff. I think that this ties back to that first point that we made, right? Which is like people connect to short films in a way that doesn't make a lot of sense when you consider the budget of them, when you consider like. The things, the things that you would consider as like, you know, if, it, like, I don't know what a, I don't know what a three million dollar short film would look like. I mean, it probably looks like a Pixar film. For I could show you a few. Yeah, like, I was gonna say it probably looks like yeah. a Pixar film. But what I'm saying is like, you know, if I gave you the resources that we give to Iron Man, like, what does a short film look like? But I think that what happens is, you don't get that because they want. They want some kind of return on the investment, which yeah. art isn't always about. Um, yeah. and, and I think that short films really speak to the art of of this. I, I'm going to mess up show notes a little bit um, because I think that... Never. Yeah, I know. I do it all the time. I, uh, Mikey, we're talking about Neighborhood. Um, it's a, it, And I, I, I think that the important thing to remember about Neighborhood is that it was filmed and created with masks on during a global pandemic. But... Sorry, I do have to kind of... I have to correct a little bit. Um, part of it was... I, uh, so, so this actually yeah. leads into my question. When was this written? Um, so it was written in... 2019, uh, right? But Like beginning yeah, about, of 2019? No, uh, it was around... Um, I'd say like June or July, maybe. Okay. That sounds like maybe even a little after. Yeah. I think it was like fall of 2019. Yeah. So, uh, so the, your whole world was shattered in the making of this film. And I, and I want to, I want to dive into this. And the first question, which is the most obvious one is what was it like recording in the world where all of a sudden, like everything changed like <laughs> like the, I, we all know I, we've talked about it on this podcast multiple times uh but our, our world changed and you had written this film you know six months ago got all these people on board you know something something that's hard to do it's hard to get people to buy in and all of a sudden you've got people bought in and then the world collapses from under your feet. Yeah. What was that like? Um, well, so we um, actually shot most of the film back in February, right before everything started. Um, there were, I think, several people on the crew who had gigs two weeks later that suddenly did not have gigs. You know, I, um, so... I do have to say, like, it definitely affected other people a lot more than it affected me. But to get over that and answer your question, um, it was actually basically one scene that was a pretty major scene um, that we were supposed to be filming. Or I think it was actually like two or three scenes that we were supposed to be filming that were going to go at the beginning of the film. Um, and suddenly we had no idea when we would be able to shoot those. So I had 
half a movie or three quarters of a movie. Um, and I had to have a really serious conversation with the rest of the team about what we would do, you know, whether, you know, is there a way that we can still shoot this? You know, probably not in, unless we waited for months. Um, can we rewrite it? Can we like, we went through all the options. Um, and finally, after a month and a half or so went by, like it was very clear, you know, there was no way we were going to be able to shoot the rest of those scenes anytime soon. So um, I went in and started doing some rewrites to the script based around what we had already shot. And uh, the minute we, you know, started feeling like we could safely shoot again, we went back out and did those scenes, but it was several months. Like we had the film mostly edited and and done um other than like sound and some vfx outside of these scenes and so it was really i think the biggest way it affected us was we just had to very quickly kind of shift around something we had already spent a couple thousand dollars on you know which sounds like the experience of anyone in, pro in charge of any project organization during covid right you would yeah, all exactly. of a sudden had to like you're running full tilt in a direction you had to stop consider your options decide a new direction move all in a blink of an eye yeah yeah and you know i almost feel like that's you know to go back to the other question of the benefits that was one of the benefits of being so low budget is that it didn't kill us as hard you know our crew was already that volunteering was... their time for the you know for shooting and so it wasn't it was our biggest issue was like planning around their schedules because um because they had just lost all their gigs and they yeah. had lost all their income, which made me like suddenly be like, Oh my God, I like you, the fact that you're still donating That's your time to this, you know? Um, Can and I a lot of them would joke and be like, well, we don't have anything going on anyway now, you know, but I, I've got to ask. Yeah. You, it was you, still rough. So while that was an advantage, um, you know, talk, talk to me about the rewrites. Like you have this new restriction where, Maybe you don't get the entire crew together. I don't. I don't know your exact situation, but mm -hmm. what what was the difference? Like, how did the film change because of COVID? Um, well, we most of it was less about the story itself, other than the the delay in having to reshoot things. the The main story change was just actually it kind of sorry it does kind of go back to what you were asking earlier about. Um, how much do you need to let the audience know? Because that was one of the big questions we had to ask was like, the scenes we were going to shoot were basically scenes of... Uh, of people getting together. The child. Yes. That, yeah. So this is this is actually, watching this, this is what I thought the COVID change was. Is mm -hmm. you had to have less people in a room together. Mm -hmm. And so you had to give less information. Yeah. Um, I, again, this was that, all of that. So basically everything you see that is inside the house um, was shot through two or three weeks before the lockdown. Um, yeah, so we knew right. it was coming. And the main thing it affected there was just like, we have to do this now or, or like, you know, cause we, we had seen it already turning into a pandemic, but it hadn't quite hit the U S hard yet. Um, but with the way things were going, we knew like, yeah, we, we have to shoot this like as soon as possible. Um, the, the ending scenes switched from being, you know, it was really just these opening scene or the, sorry, these opening scenes 
that it really affected because we were going to show some of the backstory of the main character with his dad when they were little and it was like the actual beginning of the like kind of civilization collapse that sparks this post-apocalyptic setting um and we had to say like well we can't we can't do that now you know that's extras and that's but uh it, it did lead to, you know, we kept coming up with different options and like had to keep whittling it further and further down. Cause every time we thought like, well, that might work. It, it was a very quick, like, Oh yeah, no, like that would require too many people or that would take too much time to have everybody there. And um, eventually we just had to like really refine it down to like, what is the most efficient way to deliver this information? And it basically came down to like, well, we have like one shot, like, like, not one chance we do we had one chance as well but like literally one like half of a day basically to get a single that information that many people next to each other you had to yeah. do this broad pan so that you had to space mm-hmm. everyone out yeah and one thing that i thought was fascinating is the the way that like you show what's happening and like what the challenges that he's facing are it's like apocalypse type agnostic it does not matter what yeah. caused the apocalypse. yeah it's so true that, yeah. like this it's story so true could exist in any apocalyptic world because there's always going to be a 1950s era house it's that it's, like just somehow survives without getting torn apart a little bit and it's a good place to put on a shower cap and scrub yourself down <laughs> I, I, before i actually do want to get into the film here in just a second but before we yeah. do i just want to ask you this last question about covid which is are there, did COVID teach you any lessons as a filmmaker? Yeah, I mean, a, a ton. I think that's, I mean, I think it's taught everybody a lot of, a lot of lessons, but um, particularly with, with filmmaking, I think, you know, similar to what a lot of people have experienced, which is just the, the feeling of gratitude, the, the appreciation for being able to work with certain people or to do certain things. Um, for me, it was uh, one of the shooting that film just before COVID hit was just one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had. And and it was the first set I'd been on that I can like, honestly say it felt like a, a family. Like it was people immediately bonded. Everyone was very passionate and, there was almost no stress on set. I mean, there was, you know, the typical stress of like, we have to get this done or we're meeting a deadline or this certain shot is difficult. But the minute we weren't working, it was just immediate, you know, everyone was chatting and connecting. And um, it was such an amazing collaborative environment. And then all of a sudden, we had no idea when we could ever have that again, you know, and, and especially once, you know, things got really bad and, you know, we, we had a couple crew members who had scares and, and, you know, you know, a couple who did get it. And, um, luckily none of them passed away, but we had some who had like family pass away and stuff. And so it just, it, it made you really value the, the people around you and the connections and the, the opportunity that filmmaking provides to meet so many incredibly unique and talented people um, and just to really appreciate them and, and what they're willing to give. So I have a new question after your answer, but I want yeah. to I want to ask it after our next okay. seg- after our next segment. 
All right. Um, neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mikey, I, typically during this segment, the sell it segment, either West or I sell the thing that we're talking about to the audience. Mm-hmm. And uh, West and I could probably do that for what it's worth. I think that we both thoroughly enjoyed our time watching this film. Um, but I wanted to give you as the writer and the director a chance to sell it to the audience and tell them why should they, why should, what is the, what is the date for Amazon, by the way? Um, it'll be February 23rd or something like that. I think it'll be the end of February. Okay. So this, by the way, um, this is the end of the, well, no, it's not. After what Mikey says will be the end of spoiler free um, for this. And so uh, you don't like that West. I'm just thinking about like a, what is there to spoil? (laughs) (laughs) How do you, I I think the film, I think this film was better appreciating content for people who probably haven't seen it yet. Right. We're trying to overall, this video is convincing them to go watch it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But also, I think that, like, mostly... I'm just uh, saying, if uh, you want actual zero spoilers, we're going to talk about the yeah. film now. Sure. That's it. That's well, we'll all I was saying. Yeah. No, you're, you're totally good. I can, we can, I can dance around a lot of that for... But, yeah, I want, I want you to, like, why, why should... Why in the world should anyone watching this, uh, you know, as, as I put my ad dollars into this episode, <laughs> uh, you know, why, why should people watch your movie, Mikey? Um, I don't know. Hopefully, because it's good. <laughs> no. it, it is um, good for what it's yeah. worth. It actually is good. Thank you. Um, no, I think that this this film is something that um, is very special to me and to a lot of the people who've seen it because of its timeliness. You know, around COVID, the 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 story is about a a young man who has grown up in the apocalypse this you know this is his normal situation now and then um his dad who has kept him safe and protected him through all of this shit is now killed um and he is truly alone for the first time and so this our short film takes place on a night where he finds some shelter shortly after his dad is killed and he is just kind of desperately trying to cling on or relive things from a better life you know from his childhood and things like having dinner and taking a bath and watching tv and you know all of that um and eventually he has to realize that that's not going to happen, that he could do these things all day and he's never going back to that normal life. Um, and so he has to kind of accept that. And um, it, it doesn't dive too heavily into anything around the apocalyptic setting, like you said, or, you know, it's it, it's very character focused of just the emotional experience that this guy is kind of dealing with um and i think it's very similar to what a lot of people have been dealing with through covid this 
you know, things were already pretty rough all the way leading up to 2020. There were plenty of other things going wrong with the world. And then all of a sudden, like something, you know, you think it can't get worse and something so much worse happens. I literally was in the car with my wife last night. And I said, you know, what's funny is if I mean, I posted this on Facebook, like, you know, I, I said, you know, the one thing that I'll remember 2019 as is the most stressful year of my life in early November. It was unreal stressful. I didn't even know if I could handle it. And, uh, you know, I, I said, you are yeah, I know, right? And I said to Devonair, I said, I don't know that I would have believed you. Like, I, I didn't know if things could really get worse. And it, you say that, Mikey, and my question that I wanted to ask you is how, how did COVID impact the mood of the crew? Like, you're making this film in this setting where, like, to your point, we don't know what happened. But, you know, we obviously know that um, uh, Shiz hit the fan yeah. and things went bad. And now you're living in a world while you're filming this where shiz hits the fan and things are getting bad. Yeah. Did it, did it make those last days of filming different? Um, yeah. In a lot of ways. I think one of the big ones was, like I said, the camaraderie of like, we finally get to be back together and we finally get to do this. But at the same time, like under very different circumstances. Um, and it, it did change some things. You know, everyone was a lot more careful and paid a lot more attention when they asked the other person, you know, how they'd been doing or what was going on in their life. Um, like we said, we had people whose family had gotten sick and, and who had, or who had been through themselves um, leading all the way up to the day before the shoot. We had people constantly calling in and saying, Hey, I, I just got confirmed positive or I had, I got exposed, you know, and so I can't come to the film shoot and we were desperately trying to bring in new people to fill those spots while also still being safe and having to make sure they'd quarantined and, yeah. you know, doing all, adding all these new health measures while we were on set. And, um, it definitely made things more expensive because we had to pay for a lot more supplies. We had to make sure, like you said, that we were, way outdoors and like had proper areas for people to, to eat and, you know, be grouped apart and, or not grouped apart, not be in groups and, you know, social distance and stuff. Um, So there was, you know, it was certainly a different tone, but luckily I think because by the time we got to shooting the last of, of the film, it had been a couple of months, you know, it was, I think August, yeah, it was August when we were nice. able to the, come the, back together. The, so, like, the hopeful period, as I like to call it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, we timed it because we knew that would be, you know, when it would probably be safest. And um, we knew that things You're were right. going to get bad again. <laughs> yeah. And we were right. Um, but there was still, you know, people had kind of gotten used to the changes. And a lot of them, because the crew were almost entirely um, like working professional filmmakers. Um, They had been on other sets that had been dealing with this for who, you know, as well. And so they were already kind of accustomed to a lot of these changes. Um, So I think the biggest impact really was just how much everybody felt 
connected and, and how much more passionate people were to get this, to finally get this done. Because by then we knew the, you know, the connection and the potential that the story had because of the relevance to everything that had happened in the past five or six months. Well, I think it's time for West and I to talk, Mikey. If you don't mind us uh, listening to us talk about your film. Because, you know, I, I we don't have the could-be-betters this time. And honestly, I don't think that there were a lot. Um, well, if you do have them, like, feel free. <laughs> I'm always interested to hear. I, but I, I want to I start by giving your overall impressions. And, uh, West, I want to let you go first. Sure. What, what was your overall impression? I mean, I think that you either watched this yesterday or the day before. So this is pretty fresh in your mind. Oh, man, you're giving me so much credit. I watched it today. Uh, yeah, yeah, I knew it. I actually knew it. And I was like trying to give you credit. Nah, I, short, short film, short planning time, right? Uh, but this, truly, it's the beauty of the genre, which is that Michael has to spend months thinking about this and preparing this. And I get to consume it in 20 minutes and talk eloquently about it. Right. <laughs> Um, but, uh, my initial impression of the film was that the sound is just, it's crisp. You can hear everything that's happening and not a thing is happening in what you can hear that you don't intend. Yeah. However, you've found a way to get an absolutely silent suburban town, like, uh, suburban house to have nobody near as you're shooting was incredible because you can hear everything on the entire property the whole time. And it was, was it was it up was it up the east side on the mountain was that where it was um so there were two different locations everything inside was actually shot at my mom's house um really i didn't even recognize yep. it oh i guess she would have moved though yeah she's she's moved yeah, okay. um but everything outside was shot at one of our co-producers uh his mother's house um was that and on the east side? The outside that was stuff. The, uh, that was the east side. Okay. Yeah, kind of, it was actually literally the the two fifteen was like. That's what I right thought. There. I thought that uh, it was. I thought that it was like, like right to the, right to the south of like the foothills. Yeah. Is kind of where I thought. In okay, okay. So so that's a bunch I'm of Utah jargon, you... by the way, for the listeners. We're all in Utah. Uh, <laughs> But anyway, but no, I'm, I'm very glad that that Wes thinks that like you said, I don't know how you managed to get a perfectly quiet suburban neighborhood. We did not. I don't know all. how you yeah. got your mom's um, house. Every, that thing, quiet. Right? Like, uh, yeah. That's the best part about being the consumer is I don't have to care about the realities yeah. of what you were dealing with and doing it. I just get to say, wow, it turned out so nice. Yeah. And then the, you get to think about many hours of editing and talk conversations around it. And how do we isolate this? And but yeah. like so like sound is incredible right like i think that and i think that part of the reason why the sound is so important is because to be that individual in this totally still world where nobody is is to have every sound matter because it's either something you're creating or it's a it's a it's a problem right like yeah a threat that you have to consider right and i there was a moment when birds were chirping in the background and i was like and it, it was part of like the like when things are good, right? Like he's like eating dinner and he's feeling good, and we were hearing birds in the background. And you know, part of me was like, "Well, if I'm like a if I'm a prey animal and I can hear the birds chirping in the forest, that's good news. No predators are around, right?" It's kind of the idea there. Um, 
So that's a part that really stood out to me is like the sound is just overall really incredible. Another thing that really stood out to me is that the story is about the things we choose not to look at. The yeah. the truths we hide from ourselves while or that's one of the takeaways I had, right? Because uh as he's exploring this house trying to figure out what's in here, right? He discovers this person who hanged themselves in yeah. the house and like ha over the course of the rest of the film processes what to do about that. Yeah. While also behaving in uh as much of an attempt to be nonchalant and just living a day-to-day -day life as anyone during COVID who's stuck at home could be trying to do. Right. Um, even better, the internet and electricity are out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, um, I, yeah, that... I, and I found really myself you know, felt that way. rooting for the decisions of this character on a minute-to-minute, because, -minute, like, I, I both had to, like, process, like, okay, we're scared enough that we're sleeping with our gun cradled up against us, right? Like, that's a thing. And the next day we're feeling safe enough that we're, that our gun's not in sight. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I had to really like, you know, sit with like, what does that mean? Right. Can like, I, is I it the, the gun is just out of sight and they're sick of shooting the gun? Or is it that like this person's really decided to relax today because Can they I think speak that, to that in the day when they're awake, they're going to hear any threat coming. Because I think that, I think that, I mean, I, I can't speak for the character, but like if I'm, if I'm going to put on a shower cap, and wash myself in the bathtub to try and relax. I'm not bringing my gun with me. Like if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna die naked in the bathtub, like I'm just gonna let. I, 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 like you. just like at some point it's like I need a minute. Like if I yeah. die, I if I die in these five minutes, then fine, I die. But like just give me the five minutes. That's how I interpreted that, especially yeah. after that bad dream, right? Like you just have this horrific dream about your dad and i i just i just need i just need 10 minutes i can i just have 10 freaking minutes i um, also I, I mean so many parts about this where it's like I, it's incredible that you didn't that that you wrote what was happening mostly outside of knowledge of what living with COVID would be like because it's so true why it didn't look a day at home alone it really did it, it felt <laughs> the bottle of liquor in the random closet and deciding yes let's drink this at 10 a.m uh, <laughs> so i had what do most... i do about the body and this grief i have yeah. to like oh god i don't have any food other than this bad canned food i don't want to eat let me enjoy canned peaches like <laughs> what a good covid experience that was and i think it, it's what what's cool about that is it means that like you were telling this authentic to the situation and the situation just happens to parallel our experience. Yeah. It, it definitely. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, okay. Go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, it definitely was not, you know, intentional in, in any way. And, uh, sadly, you know, prophetic, but like it, and watchers and consumers yeah. is we get to project our our ideas and thoughts onto what's going right. on and it's perfect yeah well i mean the truth of it is not to like spoil the magic but the truth of it was this i wrote this because i had felt very you know the months leading up to me writing it i had been super isolated finishing an, a previous film and so it i uh had also like been out of work for a little while and 
all these other things had been happening that just made it so that like I was very isolated for a long period of time and basically was already living the COVID life without knowing it. <laughs> and so I wanted to write about like some of the things I had felt because of that, you know, these, the feeling of disconnect of, you know, um, of, um, of isolation and, and loneliness, but then also, recognizing like why you feel that way and that like you know some of that came about because of big changes in my life before that as well that that made it that were things that i needed to kind of accept and and move on from um and so i wrote this really about that of like the feeling of isolation and and wanting to escape that but then realizing like the real escape from that feeling was accepting that this was the new situation and just trying to make the best of it. Um, and then suddenly COVID happened and, and it turns out that like, yeah, this is the new situation and we just need to find out how to make the best of it. You know, talk uh, to me about the cat toy. Wait, hold, I get my overall impressions before you get to ask oh, questions. Fine. Spencer, you can talk, I guess. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, Wes said a lot of the things um, really similar to to how I felt during this. I I think the word prophetic is um, man, I might cry, and I did not expect to cry during this episode, but I'm also a crier. But the thing is, is that so first of all, there will be like a a, tr a trigger warning um, at the beginning of this podcast. Because, you know, you deal with suicide, you deal with what I don't know if it is because of what we're going through, but it it honestly felt like COVID went really wrong. The world fell to crap and everything crumbled. And that that is what it felt like watching this. Like it felt like it felt like a realistic future of our lives. And it was really hard to watch, but also at the same time, like I, I have experienced a lot of the emotions. Can, can I ask, what is the character's name? I, I wrote it down earlier, but I don't Chris. have Chris. Okay. Yeah. And you know, when, when Chris is talking to a stuffed tiger, when Chris is talking to, uh, you know, to this person that he's buried, when, all these times where, where Chris is when Chris is talking to the TV that's not on. Um, I've probably felt alone more times in 2020 than most of my life. Uh, and I think that a lot of us have felt that way. And one of the hardest parts about 2020, I think, for a lot of people, including myself, is that you know that other people are suffering. So you don't feel like you get to talk about how hard it is for you because somebody has it worse. Somebody's going through worse than you. So you just feel like you're complaining. And I don't think that it's healthy. And I think that one of the things that this shows is that, you know, he sees this person that has decided that it's not worth it anymore. And he talks to that person and he talks about how things are still going to get better and how he still has hope. And I don't know, for me, it was like, yeah, I will still have hope. 
Um, you know, I've 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 had the kind of 2020 year that I think is um, a meme at this point, right? Like getting laid off uh, from my high-paying job that I worked really hard for. And my grandmother died this week. My, I mean, I have my uh, not even half like covid experience what your month has been the covid experience oh dude here we are this this has been i watched this film during probably the worst month of my life um but honestly mikey uh chris is being positive because that's what you can do that's what your options are I am going to cry, uh, but that is, that is what you can do when things get that hard. Um, and I don't know, it meant a lot, so. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm really glad that it did. It's, um, not very often that you get to hear how you affected somebody like that. And so, yeah, that, thank you for sharing that. That, that really means a lot. Um, I think you're right. It's the, you know, I've, I've struggled with, you know, you know, better than anybody, Spencer, <laughs> you've known me longer than just about anybody that, you know, I've st- struggled with mental illness for most of my life. And there was a point, you know, it took me into my twenties, but there was a point where, I I just realized that that's really what it came down to was just, those are just the options that you have because things are shitty, you know, a lot of the time and you just have to choose, you know, and, and sometimes you still won't be happy and you still won't be able to be optimistic and, you know, it's, it's still going to suck. You know, it's really that belief that it's going to get better. Not, yeah. not only that, but like the, uh, I was watching, I'm super addicted to TikTok, by the way, check out the Heasy Game Media TikTok so that you can see me watch Naruto thanks to West. Screw you, West. Um, <laughs> but but uh, honestly, um, I was watching TikTok the other day and there was a the therapist that came on my feed that talked about, you know, one of the, he, he had a patient that came to him that's the most impactful thing I've ever told a patient that they like have now started a podcast on like they've they've changed their lives because of is just our goal in life should not be to be happy happiness is this occasion that happens when good things happen out of the norm our goal in life should be to be content in where we're at and where we think we're going and to be content in that 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 movement forward and if there's one thing that Chris teaches us in this film, it's that even when things are really bad, you can see a future that you're content with. You can see a future where you will be happy one day. You'll find what you're looking for. And I, I think that that's meaningful. Even in the worst situations, we can we can find that. He also oh. presents a powerful motivation for why he should step forward, why why he should keep going, which is that if he feels lonely, there might be other people out there who feel lonely, and if he yeah. keeps propelling him onwards, he might find those people and help reduce their loneliness. You you actually just touched is- on my love it, by the way, West, which I think we can move on to is our love it's. 
But one of my, one of my biggest love it's was he he's talking to this person. Is there a name for the 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 person by the way, Mikey? Okay. No. So he he's talking to this person and he's he says, "I bet you were lonely. I bet you were sad." Um and he he's you know, he talks about how he's felt that way and how his reason for going on is is to make make sure that he others know that there's somebody out there for them and that he can be that person. And uh, <laughs> this this week is also the anniversary of my best friend's suicide. Uh, man, I did not expect to cry during this episode, but it's actually just going to be like a faucet. But uh, this is classic grief. Grief just comes up and whacks you in the head whenever, whenever it wants to. You don't have any choice. It's in so it. true. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that so often we don't know when that moment that we're there for somebody has that life-changing impact because we only have a small piece of what's going on. And uh, I don't know. I really admired this character's desire to just push forward. If it was just to help one person. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I've said it, it was so funny um, looking back and watching this film during 2020. Um, this year I quit Constructive Criticism, this podcast that I had done for for years. And, you know, I, I said most of the time that I was doing Constructive Criticism, you know, I just want to help one person. One person achieve their dreams of going to the Pro Tour, of, of doing these things in Magic the Gathering and I helped way more than that. And at some point I was like, well, what is the point of me doing this anymore? Like, what's the point in me moving forward? And I think that I realized that, I, you also, know, go ahead. You didn't quit. You passed the torch. That's true. Which that's is true. a better way to leave it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like, <laughs> that's, that's a very different situation. I, I, I do, but, I, but what I was going to say is just like, you know, I, I think that I really resonated with this idea of just, like, there is always someone to help. And if that's not our purpose in life, I, I don't know what is. And that was my biggest love it. Like, you're talking to this... You you did such a good job in writing, Mikey, of explaining motivation for this person's existence at the end. Like... I don't even need to know what happens to Chris, but I know what Chris's goal is moving forward. And I think that it's a goal that I resonated with a lot. Uh, and I really appreciate it. So uh, that's my biggest love it. Um, I, I also loved the bath scene before Wes steals it from me. Um, I was really confused why the water wasn't working. And then I realized why would the water be working? <laughs> but then I wondered where he got the water. All of it was a, a mess for me. But water. he was using he was using baby wipes. Yeah, yeah. I realized that at the end. It was like, <laughs> gotcha. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm really glad that didn't happen during COVID. Anyway, West, I'm done crying. Please give us your love. It's. I'll make that promise, but uh. 
my love it is the casting choice. I, you could have had right anybody can do that role in a sense, right? They can they can live a day, they can eat their their cold canned peaches, they can talk uh, um, bad sports uh, commentary for a non-existent sports game. They can drink right. tequila at eleven a.m. or whatever. It seemed like it was early in the day, right? But you chose not your like I, I think that you would have cho- that you chose a person that I think anybody picking a lineup of who's gonna succeed in the apocalypse, they would have said not that guy. Yeah. For a lot of different biases, right? Um, whether it's biases around race, biases around body types, biases around what sort of personality it takes to survive in the apocalypse, right? Like just a whole bunch of different choices, but like the character Chris is on the screen is very different than the characters we get to sort of experience and experience as central elements of the storytelling in these settings. And that was what I was in awe of. I was just in awe of like, this is a, this is a story of a real future of a real future apocalypse, not a glamorous one, not a, um, not a one for some revelatory I can do whatever I want because I no one makes the rules anymore type of apocalypse. It was I, truly yeah. I, a, I think a that's and represents who actually struggles to persist on a daily basis and who knows that well. And I thought that was a really meaningful choice. Oh, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, can we shout <laughs> out the actor? Who was that? Can we shout him out really quick? So, yeah, his name is uh his is wow, I am oh my god. Um Cameron oh. Tinow. I almost said Chris Tinow and I was like, oh my god, no no no. And I did that multiple times on set. <laughs> he did it Cameron so well Tineau. you thought he was the character. I know, right? No, that I mean that shows you how good he was. No, um the thing that was so amazing about that was that um this actually kind of spring because I was uh right before I wrote the script, um, I was just, again, because I'd been isolated and stuff, I basically said like, Hey, I need to film something. I need to make a short film. I don't care how bad or like, I just, who's free this weekend and wants to come over and do this. And Cameron, um, was basically the only person who had come active, who, who like had any interest, you know? Um, and I, I, we hadn't even really met before other than like maybe once, um, he was just somebody who had worked with some friends of mine who was like, Hey, I just want opportunities. So if you ever have something, let me know. Um, and yeah, he came over and as we were filming this, just like very run and gun, like zero plan, we came up with the idea, like literally on the spot, um, idea about just like, okay, well, what if it's just like a dude searching a house, um, during the apocalypse and like, let's just film a scene like that. Um, and as we were filming, like, I just kept seeing these shots that were like, they were fine for having no lights and no crew and, and my basic super, you know, DSLR camera. Um, and I was like, no, this is like, I can see this being something else. And I don't know what it is yet, but like, like we, these shots alone would just be so much like, like uh, more awesome if, if we could actually get a crew in here. And so into the hand of the person who is hung in that dark room that was such a fascinating shot that was like <laughs> i could freeze on this frame right with only that hand uh um brightened or um 
there was a moment when he's sitting on the couch um mm-hmm. in just just the towel and i like got a moment to study his tattoo and i was like i learned something about the setting from his body mm-hmm. right had to be old enough to get this tattoo before things went bad right yeah. whether that's what you wanted to write or not this is this is your actor your choice right like mm-hmm. this is the is the audience was seeing right like what i'm putting together because of all of this the texture of it was just fantastic yeah and and so yeah cameron had actually never acted before like he had been an extra are you for real like yeah he he'd been oh my gosh cameron if you are listening to this if you are listening to this uh you made me cry like you did holy are you for real yeah, he never he'd never acted before. He wanted to, um, and honestly, I, there was a part of me that was just like, "Well, he was the one who was already acting in it when we were just doing this as some little, you know, one-off fun thing." And like, I don't want to take that away from him because he's like really wanting the opportunity, and I don't want to be like, "Sorry, but I'm because we're making this a bigger project. I'm going to get a bigger actor." No, you um, you made and, the right choice. He yeah, no, it was he destroyed no it. He made this. It's so funny, Wes, when you were talking about, you know, the casting of the person that makes it the apocalypse. At the first, I was like, I don't know how this guy made it. And then I like by the end of it, it was like, you know, this guy made it. It's because like he was hopeful. He cared. Yeah. And. Had a sense of humor. If you can make yourself laugh, you're going to do way better. than He he put him. I mean, we're, we're literally in a position where somebody took their own life because of the situation they're in. And he is pushing through. And if that doesn't explain how this guy made it through, I don't know what does. But, um, Mike, you actually answered so many of the questions that I was going to ask. Oh. Um, no, 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 that's okay. That's okay. Um, but I, I have I do to ask you one final, like, before we move on from the actor thing, like, that it goes to show like one of what we were talking about earlier about like the benefits of a low budget, you know, it's just like, you have to put trust in the people you're working with. And, you know, I kind of said like, well, I wasn't sure. Like I, it was almost like feeling bad. Like, well, I don't want to take this away from him. Cause he was the one who originally was there for this one-off thing, but then we made it bigger. Um, but like the minute that he, that I actually finished the script, already kind of having him in mind and he went and read through it like so much of that stuff came out just in us reading it together that I went back in and had to like rewrite a bunch of things around his performance because like he he had ideas about what this character would be like that were things that even from an experienced actor you might not get because he was so passionate and connected with it and wanted to bring himself to this character um and like I think that was the first moment that we really knew, like, this is something that could connect with so many people because of, like, it is a little ambiguous, but it's not about the details. It's just about, like, how much people are going to connect to this guy and what he's dealing with um, and those feelings of isolation. What? Like, he's like I I think that, like, the number of people who can see themselves in performances, Chris, is just so much better so much wider than I think a lot of actors would usually bring about. Like, I think that yeah. super relatable character, lots of people can see themselves in him in a way that they wouldn't. If like, you know, some Hollywood triple a blockbuster chiseled draw white man was doing right. right. Like, I, like 
Um, you know, yeah, he, I mean, truly, there's no like, way a Hollywood actor would literally open a can with a pull apart lid, you know, <laughs> with a can opener. No, I'm just kidding. I le- legitimately, though, um, no, I think I think the Cameron crushed it. I, yeah, he did. As I said, though, you answered a lot of questions. And I have a two-part question to wrap this up. Um, so first of all, um, my one of my wife's very best friends was on this crew. So you, have, this is a two-part question. One, what is the best Lindsay story, and from production? And two, what are your just overall favorite production <laughs> stories? So for those who don't, yeah, what Wes? You're a storyteller. Lay it on thick. <laughs> nice. No, so Lindsay is amazing and um, super mediocre. I don't know why you're. No, she's actually great. Right. I'm just. She. Yeah. She. Lindsay is um, one of the most. One of the people that cares about things more than anybody else I've ever met, and I, it's she's like the perfect person for this project. Yeah, she was the set mom. Like she just took she and John just took so much care of everybody and were so passionate about this project. Lindsay, you know, we did a ton of theater together back in high school, but um had worked on some sets as like catering or doing things, you know, just like smaller um things less actual crew work um which is still like honestly i I say small catering is like the most important position on film set for sure (laughs) you know so very important but like not the role you typically think of for Lindsay being as amazing as she you know as she was and is um but i basically said like hey will you come on and be my production designer and she's like well i've never done that so i'm nervous about like letting you down or anything i'm like no 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 like you can do this. I, I know you, I, I know how you work. Like we, you're, you're going to do great. Um, and she came on and like, not only nailed the actual production design that was actually her job, but then she and John just were so amazing taking care of everybody, keeping, they were a huge part of keeping everybody so just positive and optimistic. Like they were always talking with everybody and joking and keeping people's spirits up even as like the day grew super long and i can hear uh, her voice yeah joking as you're saying that i love it yeah she was so great just to have as like you know that's why she and john both have co-producer credits is because they were such a big part of making this possible not only because of like resources they brought to the table like john's mom's house and a bunch of other things but just in general by helping to kind of build the vibe on set and keep everybody motivated and keep things moving smooth which took so much pressure off of me and really helped me and my cinematographer justice page like focus on telling the story because we weren't having to worry about all the other stuff that I would normally have to worry about as a producer. So, so give me your favorite, give me your favorite stories from set. Like give me your biggest, like, is there a blooper reel? There's there's got to tell me about the cans. Tell me about the cans. You, you said you had three cans. How, how did we end up? opening a can with an openable lid like tell me like what happened in this shot so we had done this shot a couple of times and we had already opened um were they all peaches 
Yeah, they were all because it was intentionally peaches. And so we had bought three cans of peaches thinking like that would definitely be enough. Um, and we went through two of them and uh, did not something had gone wrong with each of those takes. And so we had one can. Was it the left. can opener? Those can openers suck. Uh, I think one of them might have been the can opener, and then the other one was like a camera issue. But yeah, sure. the uh, we got to the last can, and by this point, like we've been filming this same scene the same for can like opening a while scene now, for like forty-five just, minutes or more. <laughs> yeah, like just nobody, you know, noticed when we got the final shot that the can had an openable like pop lid. Um, can I tell you something? Like, no, but you were the first person to actually have seen it, by the way. I was noticed. the first person to watch this movie? No, 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 no. You were the first person to notice that. The, oh, okay. Had a pop open on it. Yeah. You know, what's funny is that if I'm like, I don't even know that I would have thought of that. Like if I'm in an, if I, if I'm in an apocalypse, right. I think that I see a can and I look for a can opener. Like, I don't even know that like my brain. What was that, West? Nail, grab a hammer. Exactly. It's just like, whatever. Like, I don't have the mental functions. It's also, like, it, we get away with it. You know, it was totally unintentional, and it was absolutely a mistake. But, like, we get away with it because I remember when my, he's adorable. my or somebody else had pointed it out as we were editing the film. Like, hey, that, that does that can have a, a an opener on it? And we were like, oh, my God, it does. And my response was literally like, man, I've done it before. <laughs> Dude, and, and also, opened an openable also Cameron's <laughs> portrayal of Chris, like, I, it is very clear that that is not what he's thinking about. Yeah. Like, he is. Go ahead, Wes. Total thousand year stare in the moment as he's opening. The, no, uh, the he. I don't even know that he's like. I mean, he has this ability to just, like, he sees a can. It's time to find a can opener. We found the can opener. We're opening. Like, it is It is this very clear moment by moment. Um, shoot. What, did, what, what was your favorite scene to shoot? Um, Not that one, it sounds like. I mean, that one, that whole sequence was the, not that... So we ended up cutting out a big chunk of of that di eating dinner scene, um, but that whole scene, you know, maybe one day we'll put out like deleted scenes or something. But like that whole scene was so much fun to film because it was we were trying to be very like Wes Anderson with it and like everything very symmetrical, very thought out and methodical, and kind of have our composer even ended up doing this kind of like. Um, I, I don't know what genre to call it, but it was kind of this like plucky. If you've ever seen a Wes Anderson film, you know, but like this kind of plucky, upbeat, silly music as he's making dinner, essentially. Um, but we ended up having to cut a bunch of that out just for for time. And it, it, it was funny, but it kind of took away from the tone of the story a little bit. Um, so that that would be a, like a close one for a favorite. It's hard to pick one single favorite scene. I think um in terms of fun that dinner sequence was probably the most fun to film um but while we were filming that ending monologue you know that was it was 
other than cars passing by on the road, you know, it was dead silent every time the camera started rolling because like when Cameron started his monologue, um, we would really go still for a minute to let him kind of build up to it and, and gather those emotions. And then when he finally started talking, you know, I would tell him like, we'll just keep rolling. Like you just sit there in silence until you feel like you're ready to start talking. Um, and it really set this tone with everybody. We just, we all forgot that we were making a movie for a minute, you know, that, that there was even a camera rolling and it basically became like watching a theater performance of just like, damn, like this is really like, there were people crying on set as we were filming it. And it was one of the first times ever as a director, you know, I'm very proud of all the previous films that I've done, all the shorts, but I think it was the first time as a director that I stopped and like actually had the thought of like, Oh, this is, this is good. And this is something that people are going to connect with. And that, you know, that, will have an impact on people because I can tell you right now, like film crews are the hardest people to actually care at all about what they're filming. (laughs) Like they they do care and they are very passionate, but like the general crew, most of the time, like they're used to working on sets on TV on stuff where it's like, this is their job. And so they, it takes a little bit more for them to like really get drawn into a scene because this is what they do all the time is they watch actors act, you know, on the other side of a camera. Um, but to see everybody just kind of forget that they were making a movie for a minute and, and suddenly all of us were actually in that world with Cameron, with Chris, you know, yeah. um, it, it really was an incredible experience for me to kind of see like the potential that this could have. And that was before COVID hit, you know, and rewatching that scene after we'd edited it as we were in the lockdowns and stuff. The first time I showed it to anybody, it was to a couple of my, my friends. And I, I was like super nervous. I'm like over explaining like, Oh, this is a rough cut. We're going to be changing this and that and all that. And then I looked over and like, they weren't even paying attention. They were, they were all like fighting back tears and, um, yeah, it was just such a special moment that's kind of indescribable unless you're unless you've been on a film set like that before of just knowing how rare that is to find even on really awesome movies, you know. But at the end of the day it is a job. You know, everybody is there to do a job and even though we are making a work of art, it's very structured in the way that 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 art has to be created. Yeah. Um and so it's it's kind of hard to actually let yourself go and be in the moment of, of whatever scene you're, you're filming. But Chris was, or uh, Cameron just did such an amazing job playing Chris that it sucked everybody in. And we all, we all knew that like, that was something meaningful, you know? Well, I feel uh, like it was element of that drawn out silence. Yeah. Silence stretched to its breaking point. is such an important part about, building that emotion and letting the audience, the actor all just read, add everything that they want to feel around that in there before they start is so strong. That's such a, it makes sense why it turned out so well. If that was the, if that was the directing under which uh, he was starting. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, you know, you always learn a ton from doing any 
short film regardless of the budget or how much time you have to do it or if you're shooting it alone or with crew like just making a movie is hard <laughs> no matter how long or short it is and so um, you always take away a lot from it but I think that's one of the biggest things that I value from my from the horror short films that I've done is understanding that like that is any emotion that you're working with an audience is it's not just fear, you know, it's just what is the tension or what is the connection that you're building? And it's kind of in the beginning when I was talking about that roller coaster is you really need to think of like, what is the ride that I'm taking people on? And sometimes you want, you know, to take people on, oh, what's the, the a mouse trap one a lagoon that just oh. whips you around and like you feel like the you're wild mouse yeah. that's i don't ever want to be on the wild mouse I, yeah the wild mouse is so terrible like i have such a sore neck from one ride on that thing yeah. it's the worst but like you go from that and then other times you're like i am just floating on the the lazy river you know and i don't i just want to like watch something and be swept along and this was you know that's it's all about knowing what you want your audience to be feeling in that moment and, and knowing how to play with that tension, whether it's an emotional tension or a, a horror type tension, you know, or an action conflict tension, you just constantly need to be thinking about like during each moment, like where's my audience on their emotional journey and is what we're capturing on film going to bring them to where they should be on that, on that arc. Well, um, Mikey, I, I think I can speak for both West and myself. When I say thank you, thank you for sharing this with us early. I know that, you know, this is not consumable for a lot of people yet. Is it on YouTube yet? or So, no. so, so talk to us about this. Um, you know, where and when can people watch this film that I just, you know, cried on a podcast about? So there are a couple of different options. The if if you want to watch it as soon as possible, we are right now running a small um, crowdfunding campaign on a platform called Seed and Spark, which is an indie film focused crowdfunding platform. Um, and we're basically trying to raise a little bit of money so that we can get this film out to as many people as possible through film festivals. Um, and then in February, we're going to be releasing it on Amazon Prime so that a bunch more people can see it later on down the road. We will be putting it out probably on Vimeo or YouTube for public viewing. But um, for right now, we're trying to kind of take it through the festival circuit and get as many people watching it that way, get some, some buzz and attention around the film. Um, So if you don't want to wait until February, then then check the link in the show notes. Right. Yeah. And you Um, can get access to this right now. There are two ways. Yeah. There are, in that in the final bit of the credits and i'm like oh i could put my name on that (laughs) (laughs) yeah um there are two ways that you can see it early um if you don't want to wait until february um i'm not sure when you guys are releasing this episode is it tomorrow probably oh tomorrow okay cool so if it does come out tomorrow um we are having a special online screening on sunday december 20th so that's like this upcoming sunday So definitely Um, definitely before this episode comes out yeah. Uh, so after, if you, after, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, so if, if you go on to our Seed and Spark page, which it's seedandspark.com slash fund slash neighborhood. And it, it'll be in the show notes. It'll be in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but if you go and donate even just like $1, just any amount, I think the minimum might be five on Seed and Spark if they do have a minimum, but any, any amount that you contribute to the project, 
um, you'll get invited to this early screening on Sunday. Um, otherwise, we also have another um, screening in January that'll be online as well. Um, and if you donate um, at a certain tier, I think it's like 20 bucks or 25 bucks, then you can check out that early screening as well. And then end of February, the film will come out on Amazon Prime. Um, Amazon has a has a pretty awesome option that you can basically go in and self-publish your short films and, and various things on Amazon Prime, as long as it's like it has to meet certain quality assurance like things, you know, and certain stipulations. But um, you can get your film up on Amazon Prime and you don't make very much money off of it at all. You know, it's mostly just trying to get it to a larger audience. Um, and yeah, so if you have Amazon Prime, check that out. If you don't have Amazon Prime, um, we are going to have some other viewing options that we're still kind of working sure. out. Um, like I said, thanks for the going. early access, bro. Let's go. Yeah, early <laughs> access. But yeah, so definitely like check out our Seed and Spark page. There are a couple different ways you can see the film, even if you don't want to contribute at all. You, you know, should. any it's, kind of it's worth hitting it. follow. Just no, it, it's worth going the five through. bucks. Like I'm yeah. just gonna stop you. It's. It, would you have paid five bucks for this, West? Uh, I'm considering paying a lot more. No, I. I. Uh, it's hard because like Mikey has been one of my best friends since I was like. I mean, it's been so many years now. Uh, Fifteen. We were. Well, you we were. You're 14. younger than me, so. I was, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so I was yeah, yeah. 14 and you were 16. 16. But, like, met. Mikey's just yeah. been one of my best friends forever. Um, <laughs> but that has nothing to do with me saying that this film is actually really good. Like, it's actually great. Yeah. It is, like, um, you should support this. Uh, I could really see it as, like, a part of, like, your, like, your short before some, like, medium-length film at, like, a, a Sundance Film Festival. Like, yeah. I could yeah. easily envision. That's kind of what we're aiming for with our festival run is, yeah, you know, it's, this is something that would go before a kind of a heavy feature to set the tone. <laughs> yeah, it, this 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 was really good. Definitely worth it. Uh, you can find me at Spencer 13H. You can find West at East underscore single tone. Uh, monotone. Monotone. Oh, my God. Why is your name so confusing? <laughs> Mikey, where can people find you? Where can they find uh, your is it Borderland Media? Borland, I know it's hard. Borland River Media. Borderland River Media. You know what's funny because it's actually connected. If you're watching this podcast on YouTube, you can just find it right there. It's just <laughs> literally a linked channel. That's how much I love Mikey. But but talk talk to them about that. Where can they find your stuff? Yeah, so there are a bunch of different options. Uh, we have several films that are on YouTube um, that you can check out right now. It's Borland River Media. They'll have the links. Um, and then I'm at Cosmic Curious with just one, like Cosmic Curious, but with just one C in the middle on Instagram. Um, I think my Twitter is like Gorilla Film Guy. Or, uh, you can, but I like very rarely post on there. It'll be on um, the show notes. Yeah, and then just Facebook, we have the uh, Neighborhood Short Film. Um, you can search that on Facebook or Instagram, and it'll come up. 
Um, and yeah, we're, we're constantly posting behind the scenes photos and updates about our progress with the crowdfunding campaign and with some other exciting things that we're doing. Um, you know, we have, we're putting out a, a coffee table book that has a bunch of stills and concept art that we did for the film. Um, we're, we're putting out, uh, not only neighborhood, but our previous two films on a Blu-ray with a bunch of bonus content behind the scenes stuff on those. So like there's a lot of cool things that we'll be posting about and, and sharing with everybody. Cause yeah, we definitely want as many people to, to see this film as possible and, and hopefully they, they like it even half as much as, as you did Spencer. Cause no, yeah, it, I, I, I think that Wes and I both, made me cry. Oh, I, well, you actually did make me cry. So, uh, legitimately, uh, you know, if you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoyed uh, having our former co-host Mikey on, you know, give us a like, give us a sub. Um, we we have another co-host returning in the near future, so stay tuned for that. Oh. There's only one more, so you know it's a process of elimination. Right. But, but but Mikey, legitimately, you are invited back on this podcast literally whenever you want. I'll probably just anytime we re- review a movie, invite you on. Yeah. So. No, West is like yes. And, and I nerd. I do as much as I love film. I do nerd out about a ton of other stuff. Do you, so. do you have a need to nerd? As I would say, I, I, I do. So yeah, you can definitely hit me up and and I'll jump on whenever whenever you need someone. But um, le- legitimately, uh, I I'm very grateful to have gotten to experience this story, and uh, I hope the listeners take the opportunity to to do it. it it's so funny to review something that isn't available to the public yet but mm-hmm. i i think that if this podcast didn't sell this is it 17 minutes how long is it um it's 19 minutes and 26 okay seconds. so pr- i'm pretty close yep west you are muted but if if this podcast did not sell you on this 19 minute film. I don't know what will, but it, it is definitely worth. Thank you everybody so much for watching this week. And uh, as I say goodbye, just know that West, we hear you in our hearts. Ain't nobody ever heard us talk two hours about a 20 minute f- film before. Right. <laughs> it's been two hours. Close. Yeah. One, yeah, probably like an one, hour. 138. All right. Yeah.